Hi, everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I am so happy that you're here. I hope you had a fabulous weekend. We had a great time in Malibu. Lots of fun things happening both personally and professionally for us out here. So it was a treat and so many wonderful things coming up this spring and summer, specifically with the podcast, but also personally as well. So it just feels like there's a lot of great momentum. And I hope that you can say the same in your world and life. I think if you're lacking inspiration, today is a great episode for you. My friend Victoria Dunn, who comes highly recommended by listeners, joins us, and this is a fabulous conversation. But before we dive in, I did want to give you all a little bit of an update into the behind the scenes of the podcast. As you all may have seen, we wrapped our TSC recap series last week, highlighting other attendees from a conference I attended in February. It was amazing. If you're an entrepreneur or you have an idea or a dream, this mini series is for you. There's so many great tangible takeaways from other entrepreneurs, and you're really going to hear the behind the scenes as to what some of the themes are in entrepreneurship, but specifically women in entrepreneurship. So I think you all are really going to enjoy that. Well, guys, I mentioned this. I mentioned this idea on Instagram, and I want to pitch it to you all here. We are on episode 89 of the podcast, and I'm curious if we can basically double our following on Instagram at how did she do that podcast by our 100th episode. What do you guys think? I can't do it without you. So my hope and thought is that you would be able to share at how did she do that podcast on Instagram with friends, family, women that you think would enjoy, and maybe even share some of your favorite episodes over on Instagram, on your stories, whatever it looks like for you to share. I would be honored if you do so and perhaps we can get to 10K by 100 episodes, my mind would be blown. (laughs) Okay, but before we dive into our 100th episode in a few weeks, I am thrilled to introduce you all to my new friend, Victoria. Victoria comes highly recommended by listeners. Alexandra, thank you for the introduction. Here is Victoria Dunn on How'd She Do That? Today's guest, Victoria Dunn, is the founder of Her Namesake brand, which was created to celebrate coastal and southern living to inspire others to live through color and embrace the coast. After graduating from Umber College in Toronto, Canada with a finance degree, Victoria moved to the United States where she married her southern gentleman. She quickly fell in love with the southern design and fashion. All of Victoria's pieces are designed in America, but produced by artisans and craftsmen around the world to create a collection that is made with so much love. Victoria works alongside craftsmen in India to create accessories, clothing, and linens using block printing. Block printing is one of the slowest and oldest printing methods in India. Her partners with multiple printing studios in India to bring her designs and visions to life. Victoria also works alongside female artisans in Peru and Colombia. Each accessory is handwoven and crafted. When Victoria isn't working on new prints, shooting a new collection, or shipping products around the world, she is likely enjoying time with her incredible friend group and husband in Charleston, South Carolina. Victoria, welcome to How'd She Do That? 
Thank you so much, Emily. I am just so excited to be here. I mean, I just cannot contain my excitement right now as a listener and now as a guest on the podcast. I am just super pumped right now. Oh my gosh. Well, we were talking in depth before we started recording and I kind of said, I'm going to have to say this again, but you guys, Victoria has been so kind and so generous. I've seen your pieces. We've become friends. So to be able to welcome you on and to share your story today, I'm pumped. I'm the one who's excited and I'm the one who's ready to dive in. You have been so supportive. And so to be able to welcome you on and hear more about your story, I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm so pumped. Me too. Perfect. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, even during your intro, when I was writing it earlier, there were a few things that I found out about you that I didn't know being from Canada, some details there. Um, How about this? How about you tell us, tell us a little bit more about, as I mentioned, where'd you go to school and ultimately what did you major in? I mentioned finance. What, What was the decision there? Give us a little background on you. So the irony in making the transition from the finance and real estate sector to the fashion industry is I have (laughs) always loved fashion my entire life. And I remember when I was in high school, I was the kid whose mom had to go in and convince the teacher to pass me in math. I would almost (laughs) fail like every single one of my math classes. I'm not even kidding. So Does it make sense that I went to school for a finance degree? Absolutely not. So I'm in college, you know, crying almost every single day because I just, I hate what I'm studying. But at this point, my parents have really helped me with my education. So there's no way I'm going to back out now. (laughs) So I had the option of switching from finance to fashion degree. And my mom said, you know what? You can get probably any job in the business industry with a finance degree But if you go fashion, you're going to be a little bit more limited. Hmm. And I think the difference in Canada versus the United States is in the United States, you have this perception that anybody can live the American dream. But in Canada, Hmm. you know, there's not always that stigma that, you know, being a Canadian, you can kind of live that Canadian dream. It's very, you know, you go to school, you do your job and you get promoted. There's not much room for creativity, I would say. So I went through for the finance degree because I had hopes of getting into the commercial real estate sector. I graduate probably bottom of my class in my finance degree because I had the same when I was taking tests, C's get degrees. So every time (laughs) I would take a test, I would circle the letter C. I'm not even kidding. And I studied so hard for these tests, but I was just not good at math. Go figure. I was just, (laughs) math was just not my strong suit. Yeah. So, um, I finally graduated, you know, probably bottom of my class with my GPA, but I landed a job on Bay Street in Mm. downtown Toronto in the commercial real estate sector. And everybody who gets a finance degree, they either branch out into private equity or get their um, CFA or their CPA, you know, working in direct finance or accounting. But for me, I had gotten my finance degree to hopefully branch off into commercial real estate. So I get this job and I'm almost certain I got the job because I was probably one of the only females in the commercial real estate sector (laughs) downtown Toronto. So the logical thing for them to do is hire a female. So I get presented this amazing opportunity to work on Bay Street. Um, Have you watched Suits? Yes. Okay. So it was in the building that Suits was filmed. So I was like, I was freaking out. And... um, So, and the entire irony is in it again, is that I was bottom of my class. I got this great job in commercial real estate sector. 
And I started as an analyst um, in commercial real estate appraisal. So basically putting a value on commercial assets, you know, retail, office, industrial. Three weeks into my job, I was flown to Chicago for training. Mm. And I can probably put money on the fact that they would not have flown me to Chicago if they knew I was going to be meeting my future husband there. Uh. So it was a training for all the new hires. And I met the Southern boy who sat beside me. He worked for the Atlanta office. And we just really hit it off. And, you know, that was the night that – well, that was the week that I met my husband. And for months, we did the back and forth. I think we met August of 2019. So this was right before COVID had hit. Oh my and God. we had done the back and forth and then COVID hit. Um, I got a one-way plane ticket all the way to Atlanta right before the border shut. So I packed my suitcase. I was able to go remote. I packed my little dog, Molly, and was working remote. And by fluke, I won a lottery visa to let me transfer offices to the Atlanta office. Oh my gosh. So that was kind of what initiated me getting into the United States. Well, granted, you know, we were already engaged of April 2020, but then I also received the lottery visa. So we were able to, um, you know, kind of continue things on our regular path. You know, I was set to come into the country on a visa, switch offices, all was well. But the thing is, is that when I had started my corporate job in commercial real estate, it is not what I thought it was going to be. Mm. You know, you're always raised to go to school, work hard, get good grades, and then work up the, like climb your way up to the social ladder. Mm-hmm. But what I saw is all my male colleagues were getting promoted. And even my husband working at the same company, we're colleagues, but we're also married. He was getting promotion after promotion and I was not. And we were submitting wow. the exact same work product. And that was a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Climbing up the corporate ladder, constantly answering to a man who thinks that they're more educated than you and they're more experienced. And just something about that just didn't sit right right with me. I said, you know, am I going to have to do this for the next 30 years of my entire life? You know, always climbing up a ladder and yeah. always being hindered in corporate just because I'm a woman. Mm. So um, now we're in September 2020 when I had come down on my visa you know, it, it was really rough making a transition from corporate Canada to corporate America. And I remember now we're in um, 2021. Yep. And right when my husband and I got married of February, you know, I had been in the Atlanta office for a couple months now. He took a really hard look at me and he said, you know, I'm going to give you some tough love. He said, you clearly hate your job. You don't like who you're working for. And he says, get up and do something about it. Get off the couch. Because wow. I had just been sitting there, you know, for, for months, just, you know, very, very depressed and sad and just wondering what was next. Mm. Could I get into embroidery? Because I had just discovered monogramming, which also nobody should, nobody should have ever shown me <laughs> what it was like to get monogram napkins or anything because I have a very unhealthy obsession with those. Then should I do stationery? Again, I have obsessive compulsion. So I bought every stationery on the planet. So then I thought to myself, well, maybe I could do a rack of palm bags oh. and, you know, get into fashion. So, but then again, it was very scary because I have no experience in the fashion industry whatsoever. So making that jump from believing in myself and constantly having a man tell me 
you're not good enough. I'm sorry. You didn't get the promotion. Your work isn't correct. Mm. Just believing in myself and saying you are good enough. You can do this. Your work product is good. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a very tough transition to reassure myself after being told by so many different male colleagues that I couldn't do it. Wow. So that's kind of how I made the transition from finance to real estate to fashion. Oh my gosh. Well, you just unpack so many things. My my head is spinning and I'm over here writing down dates. I'm like, August 2019. Okay, married in April 2020. Okay, September 20. It's been like a crazy it's, two years. And I've been really blessed, you know, the past two years. Yes. Well, even for there to be so many entities, and I love to speaking with a Canadian and hearing your thoughts on the differences in work product and what it's like to be in corporate here and, and what's the American dream look like. And I love that you've completely embraced the Southern mentality. It's fun to hear the different ideas that were kind of bouncing around. But ultimately, you land on fashion. Tell me a little bit about what it looked like, because ultimately, we do know you step away from this role. Um, what did it look like to make that decision? And by the way, amazing husband insight to, to see you and to think, okay, you're hating this. It's time to do something new. What was that push like? What was that first few weeks, months like for you to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out what's next. Well, I remember when I had first moved on my visa, going from a Canadian culture to not even American culture, but Southern culture, yes. that was really hard because I look around me and everybody's wearing all these different brands that I've never heard of. You know, there's all this etiquette, all these manners. You know, I didn't know the first thing about when you go to somebody's house, you have to get them a hostess gift and stationery. And (laughs) so there was all these expectations. And I remember it making me feel just really nervous and anxious. Mm. And I had done a little bit of blogging in my free time. So I came across this one brand who had sold, um, they were carrying block print dresses. And I remember seeing it on a lot of different girls and I bought it and I really liked it. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that it wasn't lined at in any way, shape or form. Uh. And it was a one size. And I just think, you know, at the time I was convinced that it looked so good on me because it was this one size. I was finally fitting in wearing, you know, quote unquote, Southern fashion. Mm. And then, you know, my mom saw me in it and she's like, you look terrible in this dress. And I was like, okay, <laughs> ouch. But, you know, it. I loved block print so much, but it was a one size that just was doing nothing for me. And I remember thinking, you know, what if I can do it better? Mm. And having that experience in business, although don't ask me one thing what I remember about finance because I couldn't remotely <laughs> tell you. But what I do remember is a few classes that I took talks about seeing openings in the market. Mm. And I thought that block print, if I could be convinced so easily as a consumer to go and buy a dress that was 150 to $200, mm. and I was searching for block print, I would type it in and I couldn't always find it. Mm-hmm. So that's what made me think that I should really get into block print. But before the block print was the Iraqa Palm. And mm. funny enough, how I started with the Iraqa Palm is this brand that I was influencing, they called me one day and they wanted to offer me a partnership in the brand. 
Oh. And I just thought that that was so cool. But then they told me they had $30,000 worth of debt, had not made a single sale, and they wanted me to absorb that debt before we both took equal profits. Mm, at the time, I was so desperate to get out of my job. I thought, hey, this is a great idea. This is yeah. an opportunity. But then again, my mom and my husband had to have the tough conversation with me and tell you and tell me it's great in theory. But at the end of the day, like they said, I'm convinced that you can – find a supplier to get you that Arachapalm. Wow. So I was able, with a little bit of help, I was able to find an Arachapalm supplier. I started out with 10 of my Bougainvillea bags and 10 butterfly bags. Oh. Made an Instagram, um, you know, not even wondering what would happen. And all of a sudden, the bag sold immediately. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I just sold 20 bags. This is amazing. <laughs> and then I thought... And I laugh at this idea now because it, it was such a silly idea, but I was going to do pouches inside the bags because with the natural Araka palm, sometimes you can see the context of what's in your purse. Uh. And I wanted to do little bags to go inside of it. And then, so I had gotten into contact with somebody who did block print and we were going back and forth for a couple weeks about all these bag samples and it was just not working and not working <laughs> and not working. And I said, you know what? Let me try my hand at dresses. And I remember my husband and I had just put a down payment on a house. So we were saving our furniture budget. <laughs> and I said, I might need to dip into this a little bit. And he believed in me and said, okay, here's $2,000. And then I said, okay, a couple of weeks later, I might need to dip in a little bit more, $5,000. And then I remember I had gotten my dress samples. I posted a picture on my Instagram and that was when it blew up. Mm-hmm. I probably did $30,000 worth of pre-sales in before I even had a website. What? And uh, it's not and I never really understand the, the the concept of it going viral because it my my page definitely did not go viral, but yeah. it's just word of mouth and so many people wanted this bow tie block print blue mary gold dress and I just I couldn't understand why. I wasn't even going to produce it. I had just posted on my Instagram to say, "Hey, this is something that I created, but I have no plans on producing it." And I didn't even have a website and then pre-orders kept rolling in and I was able to use those pre-order funds instead to pay for all of my manufacturing costs for the line. So I didn't have to get a single investor. I didn't have to get a loan, wow. nothing. So instead of just, you know, because I didn't have 30 grand at the time to invest in right. you know, manufacturing and I was able to leverage that. I said, okay, well, your dress will ship in a month to two months and put that down on production. And that was really how Victoria Dunn was built with the thousands of dollars of pre-sales that people just – they said they wanted the dress. I took down their size and I had put them in the system. And I don't know why people just assumed to automatically trust me, but <laughs> they did. And then when their dresses came in, I shipped it to them and they loved it. Oh my gosh. Well, one, I so appreciate you sharing a massive behind the scenes moment because I don't know that I've actually had a guest on that's able to say, hey, it, you know, originally it was this, then it was 5,000, then we've got $30,000 in pre-sales that we're working with. And to hear those numbers, I know is so helpful, but I am like racking my brain. So you have an Instagram. Is this the Victoria Dunn Instagram? How This is the Victoria Dunn design Instagram. And it's supposed to be Victoria Dunn on there, but I couldn't get the handle. So I had to put it <laughs> Victoria Dunn design. And another thing is what kind of process, like I think what made the customers trust me so much is because I had spent a lot of time researching on TikTok, the perfect packaging. So mm. I ordered 
the custom toil tissue paper, the custom with love Victoria tag, custom ribbon, custom stickers. So when I would package somebody their order and I would film it to them Mm. and I would film it, you know, that's what made people trust me even more. And I remember I had gotten the Pareos um, before I got the dress orders and the earrings and the bag. So I was able to package that and show customers. So when people got their orders in, they were amazed with the packaging and it was just word of mouth and word of mouth. And, oh, look at how beautiful this packaging was. And that is how I differentiated myself as a small business and to gain consumers trust because they have no idea who Victoria Dunn is. They have no idea if they're going to send me money before I even had a website, if they were going to get their product. And I think by really giving that behind the scenes, I was able to gain so much consumer trust, which was crucial to getting those pre-orders. Well, crucial and beyond impressive. I mean, the fact that 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 this is kind of where you're looking and you're you're wondering, okay, how can I get people to trust me? Let's make sure that the bags, the pareos, the earrings are all very specifically, you know, shared and packaged in the way that you would want them to be. Um, but I'm like, I'm totally floored, Victoria. Honestly, I'm so impressed, and I'm just thinking, what what was the next thing? I mean, you kind of set out and stepped out in faith and excitement around this idea. Pieces are beautiful, but when this all starts popping off, because again, you guys, just friendly reminder, this is a very small time frame that we're talking about. I would be curious to know this. What month are you selling these purses and bags. Do you think that went hand in hand with the amount of sales? Is this summertime? Is this fall? What what month are we working with right now? So when I had first got the bags and we were working in March and that wow. was when I knew because a rack of palm does not sell in winter right. or fall. So when March had come and I had those bags physically able to send to people, people loved it. Wow. And then um, tied in with the bags, I was able, I think I had started my samples in March and it takes about a month and a half to produce. So when I had the physical bags in hand and then I had the physical dresses in hand, I was able to show how I styled it and then quickly plan a photo shoot around that um, and then use those pre-order pieces in, I think it was May or June that um, I had done the pre-order pieces and submit my mass production. I just kind of had to eyeball it based on, you know, how much I was selling and think about that because traditional block print takes about two and a half months to produce. Wow. But the team that I had found in India, I don't know what it was, but he just really took a chance on me. And normal sampling prices is your price of the sample. And then it's usually two times because they have to make up for, I mean, it's brand new samples, but I said, please invest in me and please believe in me because I know that I can make it big. You just need to trust me. Hmm. And because I didn't have at the time, I didn't have, you know, two times the sample price to pay him. Right. So he gave it to me at cost, what my manufacturing cost would be. And I think in all around my samples were about mm, eight or nine hundred dollars because I had me so if you saw the amount of samples I get I got that did not make it to production. I mean, probably only I only picked about five to six dresses out of all of the samples I had gotten. Wow. And having him believe in me and give me that luxury of, you know, only paying the production price, that saved me a lot of money too. So fast forward, we're now into Mar, sorry, May. The mass production is being started and the dresses come end of July. By that point, not only was I working retail, but I was also contacting 
with my little Excel line sheet, <laughs> all the stores that I had wanted to get into. Good So grief. by the time I had all of my retail sales, I was also in about 25 different stores across the South for wholesale. Oh I know I had a couple people reach out to me, but then I was really reaching out to them, you know, I mean, I'm appalled at some of the things I sent them. It was an Excel line sheet. I mean, it wasn't even that I colored in the lines. I mean, it was just a terrible, terrible line sheet. And they ordered. And I don't know what made them order. But some of these, it was my first biggest wholesale client was the Monkeys of Peachtree Battle. And I was baffled that monkeys would write a line, write my line off the line sheet. And it was like a $7,000 order. Wow. So then... Normally in the fashion industry, you pay at the time of ship, but all of these stores paid for their orders up front. So I was able to use all that wholesale money to leverage into even more manufacturing costs. So what's next for me is when the dresses came in, I had all my wholesale orders and I had all my retail orders ready to fill. I filled them in like a week. I mean, I was in the sweaty garage for probably... (laughs) I don't even know. I was just laying in a pool of my own sweat back and forth between the pool, back and forth between the pool. I was at my mother-in-law's. Bless her sweet heart for helping me, but it was, it was, a, it was a lot. So then I was like, okay, well, what's next? You know, what's next with fall? But I came across one of my competitors at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were acquaintances and she had just told me that she got signed to a showroom. Mm. And I had no idea what a showroom was. And basically, they're people who take your line to all the stores and they get commission. Normally, it's 12 or 13% on whatever they sell. So say, for example, they go into a monkey's, they write a $5,000 order, they get 12% of that. Wow. So I begged so many showrooms to take the line. I said, you know, I have 25 stores already that I've gotten by myself. I have, I've done X amount in pre-orders and nobody would take the line. And I came across my current showroom, Milk and Honey showroom, and they were the first ones to actually listen to me and hear me out. Wow. And they took the line and within three weeks they sold $50,000 to stores. And that just baffled me that we were all sold out of the summer collection and we were moving straight into fall. So that was how I was able to take it even more next level and keep completely keep scaling it. A lot of people say, no, I don't want to sell my items to stores because I don't want to give them the wholesale price. Mm -hmm. And what wholesale means is that you have my Sully Mandarin dress, for example. Mm -hmm. I sell it for $142 retail. Divide it by 2.2 is about $65. So the store buys it for $65 and they get their markup between $65 and 142 and then I get my $65. And the store, granted, they're getting more profit than me in that markup, but they're also buying 10 to 15 units sometimes of each dress. So you buy in bulk. So a lot of brands don't want to do the wholesale because they don't want to sell it at that price. But wholesale is my bread and butter. As much as I love my retail, wholesale is like what you know, getting orders from all these stores, like that is what is making the business grow so much because sometimes stores will only buy extra small, medium, and large. I'm sorry, extra small, small, and medium. And all the larges and the extra larges come to my website and I always make sure I have plenty of stock for them. So that's how I can leverage the store exposure into exposure for myself on the retail side. Because if I sell it at retail, that 142 Sully Mandarin dress, I get the full amount of profit. So I get both the wholesale and my regular retail profit. What the heck? I am like 
my jaw is to the floor over here. I feel like I'm going to listen back to this and be like, how can I get something into a store? I mean, your excitement around what you've done in this short amount of time is literally flowing over to me. I'm like, what is my product? I mean, this is insane, Victoria, to know that this is what you've stepped into. But I'm really curious because one thing you just said, um, I'd be interested to know, you're talking about the showrooms, which Thank you. I personally have never heard of that. And I don't think we've discussed that on the podcast as to what that relationship kind of looks like. So thank you for sharing those details. When you say, you know, you're looking for a showroom and I think, was it Milk and Honey or Honey? Yes. Milk and Honey showroom is my one in the South west now showrooms are by territory so that means that Mm. anything i'm sorry i apologize it's in the southeast milk and honey so anything in the southeast states i think it's alabama florida georgia kentucky ohio south carolina north carolina anything in their states is their territory wow okay so that makes sense now when you're looking for a showroom and when you were originally looking for them and you're talking about taking the line at that time what was in the line? How much was in that original line? So at that point, it was all my natural Araka palm bags, my Pareos, my kimonos. And then I think it was like seven or eight dresses. So I mean, there was not too much in the line um, for them to, you know, completely take or even sell too much. But um, I wanted to touch base a little bit more on the showrooms, because these are the people who are selling your line. This is everybody who's behind the scenes and none of the big brands talk about their reps. And that's a problem because if you don't have your reps, who's going to be selling those goods and who's going to be getting you the exposure into all these stores. Sometimes Emily, I have stores that write 15 to $20,000 with me a season. And that's all because of the reps commission, the, the reps connections and their networking and the showroom reps do not get enough credit for what they do. Every single brand, Crosby by Molly Birch, Celia B, mm-hmm. Smith and Quinn, you know, all the brands that we know and love across the South, the chances are they have a rep and their reps get next to no recognition for what they do. Like my business would not have scaled as quick as it did if it weren't for the people behind the curtain selling those dresses. Well, and it's so relational, which I know to be true about you, that you you value your relationships and and continue to kind of grow them as you have done with me even and, and being able to connect with you. Um, I, I would be so curious to know as you're diving in, because when we hear your story and as I, I mean, I'm over here thinking about your future. I always am kind of doing that with guests. I'm like, dang, I, we're going to do another episode in a year because this is madness. This is crazy. Just the growth that you've seen at what point, because we've, we've kind of run a short amount of time, but we've covered a lot. At what point are you and your husband looking at each other and thinking, okay, you're going to keep doing, I mean, you're doing this now. This is, this is your thing. You have created a business. I think at that point was when I would run my first sale and well, not my first sale, but I would say anytime, you know, that I was doing a clearance sale and the business made like $15,000 in a day and just 200 plus orders went out the door in one day. And that's when you're like, holy crap, like the orders just keep pouring in. People are going crazy over the product. Yep. That was what really made me say, you got to wake up and like, this is, this is real. You know, you have customers who love your products and you have customers that trust you mm. and, you know, they like you because you're so personable 
And, you know, honestly, everybody loves a good discount too. I love <laughs> a good discount. Anytime anything's on sale, I always buy. Yes. And I was able to really differentiate myself from other brands by having those kind of like secret sales and emails because I think anytime anybody feels exclusive, they they just, they love that kind of feeling and discounts. Yes. Well, and like you said, I mean, your product is beautiful and the pieces are amazing. I've been able to, to wear many of them and it's going to be my summer wardrobe. I'll tell you that. What did it look like when you have this really successful summer last year and you're looking at it like, okay, wow, th- this is really something. When you step into fall, was there, a, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, was there a fall line that you then turned around and started to produce? How did you know? Because I think many of us who are not in fashion, we get that there are seasons, we get that there are seasonal things, yes. but you have to start working on things really, really far in advance. Yes, you do. Right? So- and I'm so glad you asked that because I'm going to be completely transparent with you. Transparent with you, Emily. Yeah. My fall line flopped. Wow. And after having this hype around summer, I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, I made my salary in profit the first season that I did. Wow. And like, that was incredible. So I had so much pressure. Everybody saying, "What's next? What's next? What's next?" The problem is, I don't like fall colors. And that mm. is what I struggled with because I had so much feedback from the reps in the stores. You can't do a white base mm. for fall because nobody's going to buy it. Mm-hmm. So I had the line designed and then my rep told me, she gave me some tough love. She said, this isn't going to sell. So then I had to redesign it. And at that point to sell fall, the market for that is going to be in April. And by market, I mean, when they take it to the Atlanta apparel market, that's when the buyers are coming to write fall is in April. So by the time that the line came, it came in October and I got my samples in September, a lot of budgets were already used up. And because, you know, I think in summer, it's so easy to carry the summer clothes because everybody, everyone's buying for summer. But with fall, I just couldn't get my head around it. So what I did was I did a boysenberry print, an olive branch print, and a petite blue false print, which is just – so blue, like, you know – purple and green. And I, that was the critical air that I did. I did only three prints in different bodies and the people who loved it, loved it, but the people who didn't like it, didn't like Mm -hmm. it. So I had to probably sell 50% of the collection on sale at 50% off. And I remember it being so tough because I'm just thinking I worked so hard to build the hype for summer and the hype's there for fall, but think you have to top it. Like I ordered double to triple the quantities I ordered for summer and I was only getting them out the same amount of orders I did. Wow. So that was, you know, really stressful for me. And I remember I just did Cyber Monday sales, Boxing Day sales, and at the 50% off, I was able to sell the majority. Even at the 50% off, I was still getting more than what I would have gotten for the wholesale price of it. So oh, I was wow. able to recoup all that money right off fall as just a bad season took my spring line to market and we sold over $200,000 just in Atlanta, just for Southeast. And I forgot to mention, I not only have Southeast, but I have Southwest rep 
and a rep in New England as well. So spring was really a turning point to get things back where they needed to be because fall was really hard. Good grief. Well, I mean, I love that you would share that though, because again, I think this is this is a really fun conversation because of the details that you're sharing. And again, I can't thank you enough for doing so because I think many of us, you know, and oftentimes, you know, in the podcast, unless we have like a five hour conversation, we do have to move quickly. But these details are so key for listeners because these seasons and these, um, I wouldn't even necessarily go as far to say a failure, but a learning opportunity of like, okay, this is what's going to work. This is what's not going to work. And for you to be able to pop back in spring, but you have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you have to keep going. You can't just say, okay, I had a, and there was many times that I was like, man, to my husband, I said, man, Trevor, I said, I just feel like a failure Mm. because you know, there's all this hype. I had to pick myself up out of the trenches and just told myself, it's just a season. You're going to get through it. It's, it's fine. You know, people still love your stuff, but going from such a hype to such, you know, I mean, not again, not that it was a flop. It just wasn't as hyped as summer was. Mm. Um, so, you know, your podcast name is how'd she do that? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the definition of how did I do that? It's critical Mm -hmm. that you get these details to just make sense. Okay. How did you truly do that? This is fully the behind the scenes of Victoria Dunn. You are the best. I'm smiling over here. It's so true. And I love too, that you would share the the moments when you're looking at your husband, you're like, I feel like a failure. We all have those moments and, you know, whether it's social media or, or wherever you're looking at people's lives or, or you have certain expectations, everyone feels that way at a certain point. I'm, I feel that way. I've told my husband before, I feel, I just feel like a loser today. I, you know, I feel silly. Why did I do that? There's so many different entities, but you have to continue to listen to what Victoria is saying in pick yourself up, you know, dust things off. And Victoria, one thing that I really love about you and I love about your brand is you genuinely are for other women and um, friends of yours, I know, and and I've become friendly online. And the group that you surround yourself with uh, speaks volumes about you and, and who you are. Now, tell me a little bit, what was it like to step into fashion? Was there anything that surprised you about the welcome or lack thereof? It was really welcoming at first because mm. people think that you have an idea and they don't think you're going to succeed at it. Mm. And it was really hard because I went from a blogger who was constantly promoting these stores mm. to now I have my own line and they didn't want to put me in their stores. And then I went from a blogger who was constantly supporting my favorite brands to some of them ignoring me. Some of them saying I copied them. Some of them, one person threatening to sue me. It's been very difficult to have designers that you think are brilliant and you, um, you just, you think that their pieces are a work of art to just be so incredibly harsh and not empowering for you. Two of my favorite designers, but I have them in my closet and I just love them. Wow. And I remember I had shared one of, you know, my collection of her pieces. I think she's brilliant. Mm. And all she had to say was you copied my dress. And that was just heartbreaking hearing that from somebody I looked up to so much Mm. um, and spending all my money on them too, because, you know, as a designer, you don't want to just have everything of yours in your closet. You want a variety. So I think taking a long, it was a hard pill to swallow to realize, okay, 
You're not going to be welcomed by everyone. Pull yourself up and embrace the people that are going to welcome you. Well, and I think it would be interesting for people to know that and to be able to say, okay, but at the same time, and this is my personal thought and opinion, it always has been, there's more than enough room um, at the table. I, I recently at the table was- for everybody, right. yes. I mean, and I, I, I was speaking with someone recently about, oh, maybe we do a, a webinar um, about how to start a podcast. Maybe that's a, an entity that I can step into mm-hmm. to create some income over here. And I was talking to this person. They said, well, don't do that. Then you'll have competition. I'm like, but they're going to say that I help them start it. So women supporting women is the future and coming out of a man's world and finance, mm. you realize how important it is to have allies in the, in the industry that you're in and women supporting women is everything. Mm. I have this one store, Mulberry and King and Charleston. They're my local store. Mm. They not only have their own store, but they have their own line. And you better believe these girls still put me in their store. They hype me up. They have their own line. They know how much my stuff costs to produce. They buy it anyways. They hype me up. I hype them up. It's just women supporting women. And I think that everybody loves to say that they support women as a woman, but that's not the truth. Mm. To truly support another woman or a group of women, it's giving of yourself, giving of your knowledge, your mentorship. And just your communication skills as well. Yeah. I love what you shared a second ago of just focusing, realigning, and looking to see who is truly there and sticking with them, which I know has been the case for you. Well, this has been incredible. We have so much more to discuss. We have so much more. And I'm looking at the time and I'm like, how am I at 39 minutes I already? I, like, I still have so much more to say. I know, literally. Well, I'd love to give you this opportunity because I would be really curious to know. And again, the timeline of your business and all that you've done and created is incredible. Yes. But I'd love to know within this past season, I mean, in a short time frame, mm-hmm. what would you say has been a real wow moment for you in your career? Definitely getting into all almost all the monkey stores in the Southeast. That is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Getting starting to get into resorts. And honestly, I remember I saw this woman in um wearing my dress at a store and I was having a fangirl moment. She was having a fangirl <laughs> moment. And it was and it's just the tiniest thing, but it just meant so much to me to hear her kind words and how my dress made her feel and how she was planning her son's birthday party around the spring dress and around the East Bay spring dress release. Oh she says, she says, my son's birthday party theme will determine on your prints for spring. No pressure, but. Oh my gosh. That's amazing to be able to see it's, your. It's the little things for me. Yes. To um, see you know, I've, I've, I've had so many wonderful things like getting reps all over America and getting into Australia. And I've had so many wonderful things. But at the end of the day, the thing that brings me joy is the little things, the little moments with my customers, the little moments with my buyers, Mm. things that you can't really put a price tag on. Mm. Well, and the, yeah, the heart connect that, that you so easily allow people to feel towards you and towards your pieces. I mean, you're so personable and and the pieces speak for themselves. Uh, I would be curious too. And I always kind of preface this. It's a little bit of a loaded question. Uh, What would you say is the greatest lesson you have learned? The greatest lesson I have ever learned is when something is failing, don't invest more money in it. Mm. Just have the knowledge and the strength to just cut it off. Mm. 
When my business was booming in the summer, I thought that I could do my own tablescape line. And I invested some money in that and not too, too much money, like under 2500 And I got all my samples in and I remember I did a great beach photo shoot with everything. I mean, on this beautiful table, it was beautiful. I put it online and it completely flopped. I maybe had two sales. So having the business knowledge to say, okay, you're really passionate about this, but maybe it's just not working for you to just, again, cut it off Mm. because, you know, I, it was before I even hit mass production to cut it off and to say, maybe this is a separate brand. Maybe this isn't your time the time for you for this line, you've worked hard on it, but cut your losses Mm. is the biggest lesson that I've learned is just a strong woman knows when to cut their losses instead of reinvesting your money into something that's not working. Mm. And I love too, you just said, is this a separate brand? Is this not the right time? There's a lot of different elements that might be at play for a product to flop and it's not about you. So to not not take things personally, and like you said, a strong woman is able to cut cut it off and say, let's move forward with what's working. Exactly, because why would I invest more money into something that's clearly not working? So for me, it just had to make a quick decision. That's also a second lesson. I always say to my husband, make a quick decision, you know, less than 60 seconds, let's decide. Mm. In fashion, it's constantly moving. I constantly have to make decisions. I don't have time to think about it and analyze it. You just have to be spontaneous, snap your fingers and just say, okay, we're doing this. Oh, well, and that that thought has worked out really well for you. Quick side note, for someone who is, uh, you know, a self-proclaimed not finance, finance savvy, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and say, actually, Victoria, I think you kind of are. <laughs> Maybe. Oh my God. The basics of like finance for dummies, I basically have that covered. Oh my gosh. Well, it's it's really fun to hear. And again, I, I so appreciate just the detail that you that you've been able to to share with us today. It's it's my my brain over here is like spinning with ideas. It's so much fun. Well, this is amazing because like I've said, and I know I, I'm almost a broken record in, in just reiterating the timeline, what you've built in the last year is so impressive. And I'd love to know. What's next for you? What can we be on the lookout for? So I always swore that I was just going to do block print. Mm. And I think it's just because, again, I saw that entrance into the market. But the more that I've been thinking about it, the more that I'm thinking things can change at the drop of the hat. So when I'm releasing my my pre-fall collection and my fall collection, I actually did all digital prints. And it made me really nervous because I remember my production team kept saying, try digital, try digital. And I said, no, I only do block print. But keep in mind what I learned from fall 2021. I said, hey, okay, maybe block print doesn't sell the best for me in fall. I've tried digital. I've showed it to my reps and they're absolutely obsessed with the line. Wow. So I'm going to send you some sneak peeks when we're done this. Uh, I'm doing a retro theme uh, for pre-fall. So everything 70s uh, in digital prints. And then I'm doing like a secret garden, chinoiserie, lots of birds, lots of butterflies, pinks, um, blacks, and like dark reds for fall 20, 2022. So uh, getting into digitals is just it's something I never thought I'd do, but I'm just so excited about it because it's so good. Oh, your eye for prints, regardless of if it's block print or digital, I'm excited. I'm really and excited. And I don't know if you can tell or not, if, or if anybody's picked up on this, but my collections are always themed. So every piece like always 
when you see it, um, I always use like certain color palettes. So when you line them up, they're always like contrasting and matching. So I really had to go to my comfort zone because I have minor OCD when it comes to prints and like try things that didn't match and just things that were completely out of the box. So basically as a person with no fashion experience, I just stick to the wall and I I throw it to the wall and I see what sticks. I mean, that is the best way to describe how I do what I do. Oh my gosh. Well, it, it sticks well. So keep. Well, keep, thank you. Keep I have no idea there. what I'm doing. Well, thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Victoria, this is so fun. And I'm so excited to continue to see your growth and continue to build our friendship, which I just think is such a treat. But I do want to know is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to? I don't think that there's anything we didn't cover, but I would like to leave on this note coming from, you know, my personal experience and my heart. If you as a listener are thinking about starting your own business and don't think that you can do it, I'm here to tell you that you can do it Mm -hmm. and you need to surround yourself with people in your life that it's going to give you the tough love and the look in the mirror that you need and the reassurance that you are cut out to do it and you do not need to work for anybody else to be successful. Woohoo. How about that? I wonder. Girl power. Yeah. Well, and, yes. and, and, and male power, but I'm, I'm <laughs> on a lot of girl power. Yeah, a lot of ladies <laughs> listening. Well, and I think that's just the perfect kind of pause and rewind moment for whoever needs to hear that. We are going to be curious and eager to hear from you as you listen to this episode. What are you stepping into? What business can we support? What business can we see uh, coming to fruition through, from your hands, listener? And, and what might that be? Oh, Oh my goodness. Well, I love to Victoria. Um, and I've mentioned this multiple times, just, just the genuine connection and friendship that we have. And I know that's the case for you throughout your life and business. So I'm, I'm curious to ask, who do you know that should maybe come on and share their story? That is such a hard question for me. And because <laughs> I am so pro empowering women, I just, I haven't met anybody in my path right now that I would feel comfortable (laughs) recommending. So I think I would need a little bit of time to think about that and revisit that because I would really want to recommend somebody to speak on the podcast that is really about empowering other women Mm. and teaching and really helping other women. So I think I'd have to give that a little bit of thought. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the thought and heart behind it. So I will stay tuned. We all will. And of course, many of you are already connected to Victoria. Perhaps you came here to hear her story again. Maybe you are finding out some more things about one of our favorite designers. But all of that to say, Victoria, where can listeners connect with you? They can usually connect with me via my Instagram box. I know I just said Instagram box. I feel so old. Via my Instagram DMs. And usually they just send send me an Instagram request or you could just email me Victoria at VictoriaDunnDesign.com. I am always open to phone calls and messages. I would love to help anybody achieve whatever they'd like to. Amazing. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for your time today. This was such a treat and we will talk soon. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? 
I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.